This is Issa Holiday from Slow Crush, and you are listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with a brand new episode. And what a few weeks it's been. I am still getting over COVID. It was horrible. It was terrible. It was the worst week and a half of my life, and I still feel it. I don't feel normal still. Today, it's raining out. It's Friday. It'll be the first time I'm going outside since Halloween, when I caught COVID. Or I should say when uh, the symptoms kicked in. And uh, I still feel weird. My back hurts, uh, probably from laying in bed so much because I'm sick. I feel weird. I don't know that food tastes exactly the same yet, but I'll be going outside for the first time today. And I'm pretty excited about it. Actually, I'm not excited about it because I still feel like shit. And I'm wondering if I'm ever going to go back to normal. I'm sure it's just going to take some more time, but here we are. But the good news is, I've got an amazing show for us today. Justin Pearson. He's said it all. He's done it all. And I have talked to him about it all. We talk about struggle. We talk about the locust. We talk about swing kids. We talk about his latest band, Deaf Club. We cover it all. It's an amazing conversation. And that's coming up shortly. I know it's a good conversation when, you know, I do the interview and then I go to sleep, and then I dream about the conversation. That happened this time. We really get in depth with things. Justin was fantastic to talk to. So strap in. That's coming up. But first, here's how you can support me, the new scene. Give me a cure for post-COVID symptoms. No, I'm just kidding. Look, it's going to be fine. I just have to deal with it. Here's how you can support me, the new scene. T-shirts, buy T-shirts or our long sleeve shirt at Deathwish Inc. Go to Deathwish Inc. and search the new scene. The shirts will pop right up. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. I don't know how much Twitter is going to last now that uh, Elon Musk has purchased it and everything is getting all fucked up, but I will continue to post there for the time being. Follow our YouTube channels. We've got a main channel with full shows. We've got a clips channel with highlights from our favorite episodes. And we've got a gaming channel where I occasionally post gaming content from Twitch or other stuff that I make. And you can always write me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know what's going on. It's always great to hear from you. Oh, and don't forget to give us Apple Podcast and Spotify reviews five-star Apple Podcast reviews. And if you write a nice review to go along with those five stars on Apple Podcasts, I'll read it on the show. I'll read the review on the show. And everybody loves to hear that. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. The Iron Roses have upcoming tour dates in Europe with Joe Grillo from Garrison and Her Heads on Fire and Clowns as support. If you're in Europe, go check out the show. You've got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Also, Orange Island Records are shipping, so look out for those. Head on over to the Iodine Instagram at Iodine Recordings, or check them out online at iodinerecords.com 
for more updates. So let's talk about some music recommendations. I started looking at everything I listened to this year from my big time top 10 records of the year list, and it's going to be close. It's going to be tight. There's a lot of great stuff out there, but I'm looking forward to that. So I'll be doing that again this year. Keep an eye out for that. I really haven't been listening to much because I'm not doing that great. I don't feel good. I got sidelined when I had COVID, but what I did do was listen to Productive Disruption, the latest LP from Justin Pearson's Deaf Club, and I really like it. I really like it. It's heavy. It's technical. It's vicious. Check it out. I'll have some music from Deaf Club and some of Justin's other bands on our new scene 2022 Spotify playlist. Look for that on Spotify. It's got a white cover. It has all of our guests from this year and other random stuff that I dig. So check back in with me in segment three. I'll detail some more of my week of COVID hell. I'll talk about how I'm doing. I'll tell you about a random demo that I've been looking for that I tracked down. But right now, we are going to speak to Justin Pearson. Enjoy. We are here now with Justin Pearson. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, it's wonderful to have you here. You've done so much over the years between music and acting and novels and your record label. Much stuff done in the past, much stuff coming up, and we're going to cover all of that. But Justin, (laughs) first I want to ask you, how are you doing today? Um, I'm decent. I'll I'll say that. Yeah, I guess decent would be the way I would go. I'm a little stressed out. I leave for tour in the morning, so it's like I it's always the worst like the day before I leave. Um but it's it's fine. It's a short tour, so I don't it, I'm I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, you got some dates coming up in uh California, right? It's like Arizona, California kind of regional thing. Um but yeah, it's not like a big tour tour. It's like a jaunt, I guess. Um it's just it's just getting all my ducks in a row before I leave is always a little frustrating. It's the most stressful time, you know, the night before waiting, waiting. It's like when, uh, when I'm about to talk to somebody like yourself, I just sit here staring at the screen waiting. That's my, that's my prep. (laughs) Mine mine is like, I have all these things to do and then I get sidetracked, you know, or like more 
stuff gets piled onto the list and then it's like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm not going to do it. So, yeah. So Def Club. Now this is a great band. I must say. <laughs> Thanks. Who are you going out with? Um, we're supporting Melt Banana on part of their tour. We did, we did like a couple weeks already and then they left and went headed East and now they're coming back. So we're doing more, more regional stuff. So yeah, it'll be cool. It's, it's, I mean, they're family, so it's always great to play with them. And it's, it's like, a it's one of those shows where, you, you know, we're, we're a pretty new band. So, so it's like you, you're playing to an audience that's, that's pretty um, open to the annoying sounds that we make where it, <laughs> it's like, I'm used to like, you know, I'm used to playing shows where you're kind of like challenged uh, in a, in a sense with like, uh, people getting pissed off or indifferent or whatever. So yeah, it's good. Everyone's responsive and it's very positive, which is, which is always really nice and makes tour fun and a little bit easier than what I'm used to. That's good. Yeah. I think that's the case with all or most of your bands is you're going to be challenged in some way. You're not going to give it to us easy. Oh yeah. But I meant like challenged by like the audience, not, yeah. You know, a good example is like, a lot of the locust um, track record of, of touring with bands where it was like very, um, we would just end up inherently agitating everybody in the audience, you know, where they, like, <laughs> they're there for the headliner, you know, like an oddly paired headliner with us, you know? And so, so it was, that's what I mean. It was like really hard to kind of break through the audience and get a, Either like, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of, of negativity in the sense where people respond negatively. Um, I think it's, I think it's better than them being indifferent. I think when you're indifferent, then you're, you might as well just be like a boring, you know, whatever thing, you know, happening. Um, so I'll take whatever response I can get. Um, I mean, I would, I would certainly welcome the positive reaction, but regardless, I, I, I feel like there needs to be some sort of reaction whatever that is, it needs to happen more than just like indifference. Yeah. And Mel Banana would be a good pairing because I would imagine a Mel Banana crowd is pretty open to a lot of different things. Yeah. I mean, you, they're insane. Like, and I mean that in a wonderful, beautiful way, you know? So I think when you yeah. go there, you're, you're kind of on the level, you know? And so it's, it's been, um, it's, yeah, it's like, a, I don't want to say it's like a breeze, but it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is, this makes sense. You know? Um, I remember like there was this, time where like the locust kept touring with all these i don't even want to say the bands but like it was just it was a fucking disaster over and over and over and then it was like oh now we're going to tour with phantomos and it like just made sense you know and it was like oh this is easy now um so it's yeah it's like finding a, a an equally um you know strange uh you know creative or weirdo band to, to pair to pair with um is, is good and and the and you know melbourne is pretty notorious for having a, a varied support bill and stuff. So I think, yeah, I think it'll be cool. That's awesome. So what uh, difficulties, you know, you're talking about playing in the Locust back in the day and just maybe not being paired with the right bands and coming up against the crowd. What was it exactly? Was the crowd just, did they just want mosh or something (laughs) else and they weren't getting it? Like, what was it? Well, that's a good question. Um, I bet, you know, I, I guess I'll go back a little bit further. Like I think San Diego's sort of musical DNA, as far as like punk and stuff is concerned was, it was always pretty varied. I mean, I grew up, 
you know, in my first band when I was 15 playing, we, you know, we were kind of like a mosh metal band. It's called Struggle. And, you know, we would play with, uh, you know, funk bands or pop punk bands or, or hip hop bands. We, you know, you kind of, you kind of like did whatever. And, and, and same with the Locust later on in San Diego. Like, you know, it, it, people here, I think, have a, a bit more, I think, they, I, I could be wrong, but I would like to assume they have a more eclectic taste. Um, but I also think that San Diego, since it's a smaller city next to Los Angeles, we kind of have to make do with what we got. And so growing up, it was always this sort of like hodgepodge of stuff and everyone found a common thread where it wasn't, there wasn't like an abundance of the same kind of thing you could just all only lump yourself in with. So in that mindset, I think is where the locust fit. And, but we'd go on tour with bands um, a good example would be like, we went on tour with Rock from the Crypt. And I think that Rock from the Crypt is ethically and morally, and I think artistically in line with what the Locust was about, but their fans weren't once we left San Diego and it got, it got kind of shitty sometimes. And so that kind of experience became very common for the Locust um, because we would tour with um, Andrew WK or, I don't know, you know d- a different band. One time we toured with Poison the Well, and that was a really odd one because this this really uh, well, I don't want this band that I that I think we completely did not um, relate to called Dance. Gavin Dance was playing, and it was we were it was fucked, you know. And it was like I remember the first night, people like this. Some people tried to attack us, and then I got in a fight and I knocked someone out, and the cops came, and it was just like, man, we're in Texas, like night one of of this, you know of this tour. It it, it, it it wasn't fine, you know? And so, um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it happens. It happens or it has happened quite often with the locust. Um, but I think I've gotten better with just saying like, maybe we shouldn't do this or, <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, um, I, I get it. I understand. Um, I mean, there, I, and I've been, and I've, I've, I've gone to like the full extreme when the locust was on tour with the IAS, which, you know, we were like, um, sibling bands and, and we love each other and stuff. So they brought us on tour and everything worked fine in the U S but when we went to England, it didn't work out very well at all because I think maybe the British just, I don't, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's like the soccer hooligan in them or something, but they just, um, wanted to kill us. And we, we, you know, one night we got escorted out by the police um, and people were just so fucking violent towards us. And I, and I, and I, at the time it sucked, you know, it was, it, it was just really, really terrible. But in retrospect, I felt like we accomplished uh, a lot and we have, we accomplished something that a lot of bands can't. And so I, I, I appreciate, I appreciated that aspect. I think that was, um, it was, it was cool. And, you know, at, once we were like out of the situation and looked back on it, it was, it was pretty rad. Um, so I'm glad that I got to experience that. It, it gave me, it gave me another set of skills um, as far as like navigating in, in the live music world, I guess. Yeah. And the shows where the locust wasn't going over so well, what was it? Did people just not like the, the aesthetics or the music or were you antagonizing people in any way? Like, what was it? You know, it, I don't know, to be honest, it's, it's, it's changed over the, over the course of time. Um, but it got so bad to where we, we started bridging all of our songs together. So the audience couldn't communicate with us. Cause that was, <laughs> that was becoming a, a, a big hassle because, you know, if we stopped uh, between songs, people would say stupid shit and, 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 you know, they'd kind of expect a response and, and then it was left to us to just 
trash people and like um, have quick, you know, witty comments. And it, and that became the spectacle, I think, where it, at some point it seemed like that was what you did. You go and you like fuck with the locust. I mean, a lot of times it was violent with like us getting maced or bottles thrown at us or, you know, fucking bar stools or something. But it was kind of the dialogue stuff that got really old after a while. And it was, you know, after a while we were like, contemplating like should we just make you know a, a, a like a a heckle a book of heckling you know to like sell because <laughs> these people's heckles are fucking stupid or you know it just it, we didn't really know what to do so we just decided oh we'll just bridge all of our music together and make it to where no one can communicate with us and then that was how we continued on and that was that happened like around the release of um safety second body last and you can kind of see it in the in the music because it's like a 10 minute long piece of, of music right technically it's one song um and it's just that kind of idea just moved into the whole full set of you know 45 minutes or whatever it is where where it was just once the set stops there's only uh, a couple little breaks where we can communicate with the audience and, and it's on our terms and then and then we continue on and, and don't converse with people and it's not that we want to be dicks or, or wanted to like not have a conversation or have engagement with the audience it was just like we couldn't really we couldn't really control the the stupid shit. And, and so everyone suffered, I guess. <laughs> um, but it kind of fit with the aesthetic of the band. I think, you know, making like, cause we're kind of, we were kind of weird and it, it kind of made that, you know, like an artistic element uh, added to it, I, I suppose. Um, so yeah, it's, it was been, it's been pretty weird, but then it's also weird just being in another band and being, a, and just being a vocalist because it gets fucking pretty challenging. I mean, even in Def Club, we we have our set kind of locked in now where it's like there's two main breaks where we have dialogue with the audience and then and that's it. And it it works pretty well because um you know, we I can gauge I can get we luckily the players know know what's up. So we can like kind of gauge the crowd and be like, okay, they're gonna be fucking dicks. Let's let's just move on. Or or if they're like cool, we can, you know, we can have a conversation with people and that and that um has been pretty rewarding on on the tour with mel banana we we were able to talk to people and and like have dialogue and it's nice to connect you know to other human beings that we don't know in other cities and stuff um but then again there's always the you know there's always going to be the one jerk out there that's going to kind of ruin it for at least ruin it for us yeah that still happens i don't think uh i don't think it happens as much anymore and and you're out there more so you'll be able to tell me like back when the locust was uh performing a lot more i'm talking late 90s early 2000s around when i discovered you shows were insane like you you couldn't <laughs> go to any show without almost getting killed even if it was all hardcore bands someone was going to get beaten up or sent to the hospital and if you if you stepped on the wrong person's shoe you you could end up in the hospital things were insane all over the place but i don't feel like it's like that as much now is it from your perspective you know it it that that's a really good um, observation. I think that it was still like that up until maybe the start of the pandemic. And I think the pandemic created a shift. I think it, I think it kind of made some people not go to shows live, live shows. And then it also made the people that are going to live shows to maybe appreciate it a little bit more. Um, and same with the performers though, too. I remember, you know, for me and myself, like I remember just being very appreciative that I was actually performing again on stage that felt really rewarding and, and cathartic. And I was so grateful that it was happening again. Cause there were points where I thought, Oh, maybe there won't be live music anymore. And people are going to just result to like the weird 
streaming thing that everybody kept doing. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, I mean the, the like sort of weird, um, violent aspect or aggressive aspect, it did linger on until, you know, 2018 and stuff, at least for me here and there, it would happen. I mean, again, with the locust, when we were playing occasionally, there was like a jerk in the crowd or something, but you know, it wasn't like as crazy as it used to be, but I think that might be in part because we were playing bigger venues. And so I think the, and also we were headlining or playing a festival or something. So it's different. I think we're, if you're, if you're going to see a, a headlining band and there's two or three support acts and it's like kind of everybody there on the same page is one thing. But if, but I think in the nineties and the early two thousands, when, when you were speaking about like um, punk and hardcore, it was always like, here's five or six bands on a bill. And there's no like rhyme or reason as to like what it is. It's not like there's everyone's there not to, you know, not everyone's there to see like whoever's headlining. There's all of this stuff going on. And so, you know, you just have this sort of hodgepodge of, of people and some of them aren't able to function, you know, with, with a, a, a very, <laughs> you know, uh, audience, a diverse audience, I guess. Um, does that make sense? That's a good, that's a very good point and something I haven't considered before. Back in the day there was a much more varied bill. You'd have straight up hardcore bands with metalcore bands with emo bands with, you know, your occasional screamo band. And I think the uh diversification of the crowd may have caused some of the trouble because <laughs> well, it's so stupid though because it's like, oh, you have to know these invisible rules of hardcore to not get beaten up. You know, yeah, but yeah. like you're saying now, you get a pretty s- solid bill of similar bands, so that could be the reason they're you know you're not having all of these uh, these beefs. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. It's weird because it, I, I did think about it uh, a lot on this last little run we did with Melt Banana, where you know Def Club was playing, and it was well for one, it was Def Club, and then that band Wand from Los Angeles, who's kind of like a psychedelic. Uh, I don't know, like, I don't want to say jam bands that might put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, but like in their minds, I guess. But, um, it's like, it, it was a pretty, pretty weird bill in, in consideration of everything. Um, and I could see that there were people that maybe were indifferent or maybe turned off by what we did and that was fine, but it was no aggressiveness, you know, it was kind of, it kind of just went like really, it like flowed very nicely. There were, Oddly enough, there was, I remember in San Francisco, people talking shit about Wand and they're, you know, they're a bigger band than us. And, and they were, had, they were, they were direct support to Melt Banana. And I, and I remember just being like, dude, just shut the fuck up and like, just chill out or don't talk shit about other bands that are performing. It's, it's just, it's mean and it's rude. And, and I mean, I don't like a lot of stuff out there, but I also don't want to go make those people feel you know, I don't want to be a dick to them for what they're putting their, you know, hearts and their fucking energy into. And like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to criticize someone else just because I don't like it. And, and I get it. If you're paying to see Melt Banana, you want to just get, you know, from point A to point B as quick as possible. And that's, that's that, but Melt Banana chose the bands and, you know, you should kind of just chill out and maybe just um, go have a seat in the corner until, you know, until the set's (laughs) over and just, let them do what they, what they're there to do. They're, they're paid to do something, you know, like they're, they're scheduled and they built, you know, they put a lot of effort into just getting their asses there to play to these people. And there are people that like it. So if there's a handful of people that aren't open to it, they need to just, I don't know. It's weird. I think people are just jerks. They really are. I I'm with you on this. Now, when I was young and I'm talking like 16 to 20, eh, probably 
past that too. I was a, I hated everything. You know, there was few bands that I liked. I talked shit about everybody, all that stuff. I think a lot of young people go through that, especially in the scene. But I'm 40 years old now, and I do what you say. Like, if I'm at a show, I'm being respectful, and I don't go out of my way to talk shit about anybody on any platform or in real life if I don't like something, because everybody's out there doing their thing, just like me, just like you. People are putting work into this music. They're putting it out there. And for some asshole to say like, oh, (laughs) this sucks, especially at a show. Justin, I can't tell you how fucking brain dead people are at shows. Like, I'll be at a show with somebody and they'll be talking to me during the band. (laughs) They'll be telling me how they don't like the band while they're playing. And I'm like, could you shut the fuck up? I don't know who's standing around me. I don't know who can hear. Shut up. Like, I just want to stand there and watch the band. Okay, and then when we leave the show, you know, if you want to have a little dialogue about stuff, fine. But Jesus Christ, show some respect. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's fine. I'll, I'll talk some shit to my friends or whatever, you know. But like, I, I just think for for someone to just engage with the actual band, you know, and and be a dick to them, that's not cool. That sucks. Yeah, I mean, there are times where someone on the there are times I've fucked with a lot of bands, but like either they're my friends or I have a I, I do have legitimate issues with whatever they're doing you know i mean i don't know i remember this was a pretty funny prank when 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 shelter came about you know and everyone was like hyped on shelter the band because it was like the dudes from youth of today we were we were very anti-krishna and we were like oh let's go like see shelter play and like um they're all well for one we were we were vegan and stuff too but we were like you know they're they're all vegan and let's go throw hot dogs at them but we threw we threw um like uh, tofu dogs at them but you can't tell when they're out of the package you know so, um, <laughs> we fucked with them and you know because they were krishna and that was probably pretty rude of us but i do hate Hare krishna the religion it's it's super misogynistic and 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 kind of fucked up um i also thought it was there's a lot of uh i have a problem a lot of problems with religion M- me now i wouldn't go throw hot dogs at anybody um but i thought oh, this would be pretty funny um they were pretty upset uh, so I apologize. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Look, we've all done things like that. I used to get drunk and yell shit at bands. That was like... My signature move was uh, after the band's first or second song, I would yell, one more song. Oh, yeah. And I thought thought that was really funny, but it's not. (laughs) I think I think... um, I can really, really appreciate a a good heckle. And, And one of my favorite ones was it was actually heckled to retox when we were playing and it was by our friend sal gallegos he he um he said something to to mike crane about his guitar playing he would he just said um there was like a break or something and he goes that sounds stupid and and that was it and and it was fucking hilarious you know like you can't really argue with that and like it just it was delivered very um eloquently and and like it just it hit the spot i was like we all you know the whole band laughed at it and i was like okay we could that's that's a good heckle you know that that's an art form in itself you know so i got to admit that is pretty funny (laughs) yeah if you think about it like if you if you if you think of that that sentence and and a lot of times like out in public or whatever it's really effective um even if someone's like yelling or someone's talking about, I don't know, whatever. It, it just, it's really nice to just say something very basic and simple like that and kind of leave it because it, there's no room for like a real conversation at that point. You know, you're just like, that sounds stupid. And then that's it. You know, um, 
don't know. Try try it out. It's a great way to put a period on many senses. Yeah. If someone's listening to this and they go to see um, Def Club or, or one of the bands that I'm part of, try it out on us. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you put your heart and soul in the song. You finish playing, and someone's just like, "That's stupid." Yeah. That's. I mean, that's. It's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. I can appreciate it. I can also laugh at myself. I don't. I think if you take yourself too seriously, you can, you're you're going to have some problems. So big time, big time. If you uh, if you give people the opening to upset you all the time, you're you're going to be upset all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you got to take yourself down a notch once in a while. <laughs> oh man, I've been taking down quite a few notches by myself and other people. So. <laughs> So, you know, the list of bands you mentioned earlier that The Locust had toured with, that's a pretty eclectic list. I mean, are you impressed by that? Do you think about that? Like, because The Locust is not like, I don't know, it's not like you sound like Piebald or something. You you sound like <laughs> The Locust. Played We've played with Piebald. Um, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's like pretty aggressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about it um, in context of, of the music uh, world, I guess, um, out of all the bands we've toured with, Phantomos obviously makes the most sense musically and, uh, and also personally, you know, it just, it made a lot of sense. And then aside from that, I think, and this is kind of a strange, I don't, I guess like concept or whatever, but like the other kind of major tour that we did was with Dillinger Escape Plan. And that was, there was a little bit of sort of pushback from some of their fans, but I think they welcomed that. Uh, we were able to like kind of fuck with people because I think they wanted to curb their, the sort of macho side to the, to their fan base. Um, at least Ben has kind of said that to me, but it, it was an interesting thing because technically and sonically, it made a lot of sense. Um, they both just sound like annoying bands and that, and like, it just, you have to be kind of insane to, to enjoy that stuff. And that was cool. But I think it was also from like a, an aesthetic standpoint, it really, it really helped us because we we would play with them and they would, they would go nuts and jump and do all the crazy shit on stage. And they had a lot of lights and it looked fucking killer. And for us, we, we didn't have the ability to, to maneuver around the stage because we were all kind of locked into position with our pedal boards and our instruments and stuff. So it made us kind of become more angular in, in, in a spot, like kind of like those, um, those like wind, what are those things called where you see like at car dealerships where it's like the guy, the blowing, uh, like tall thing. Yeah. Know? They like flip out. Yeah. yeah those I mean, I kind of felt like maybe we started looking like that. Um, and it was, but it, but it made, it made us kind of develop, um, an aesthetic, I think a live aesthetic and, and, and it, and it was cool. And also to like touring with, um, touring with going back to the Phantomos thing that also helped us in a sense too, because, um, Lombardo would always set up his drum kit to stage left, I guess. And, um, and it was, and he would never move it. And it was always kind of, things were kind of always set up really odd with, with their, the way they, they structured themselves on stage. So we ended up putting Gabe up front and then kind of performing in a line. And it was cool because then it made, cause we don't have a, you know, we don't have like one singer. So it made us like, um, our stage presence, like it defined our, our stage presence. So I think between those two bands, they really were um, subconsciously uh, responsible for the way we would perform um, as a, as a unit, you know, and I, I think that's cool. Um, I like those kind of things. I like, um, I like seeing a band that's like their performance is unique in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, 
one regret I have about being younger is I wish I would have been open to more musically. I did like The Locust, but I'm just thinking back to when I was like 17, 18, like unless it was a hardcore band with five members and the singer sung by himself and like people were beating each other up in the crowd, <laughs> I, I wasn't that into it. So if it was like a band of four guys and they were all playing instruments, I'd probably be like, oh, it's not as good. But that's ridiculous. Yeah, that is kind of crazy. I mean, I I think I'm I'm grateful that like I was instantly as a child even and like just weird shit, and I would go see weird shit and like listen to really weird shit, and it didn't, and I never thought of it like that, you know. And I think a really informative band for me was the Cramps and seeing them play and like seeing you know Poison Ivy and at the time Candy Del Mar on bass. I, I I was very intrigued by them by by the band having you know very strong um, female, uh, you know, instrumentation, female played instrumentation or like, however you want to call that. I don't I'm trying to like be uh, eloquent about my, my terminology, but you know, like these women in this band were like very fucking demanding and, and very um, important in the way that they, you know, performed and projected onto state under the stage. And I think that was really cool for me because especially as a young teenage boy, I started realizing like, Oh man, like maybe I should, you know, like I wanted to shy away from like macho shit and like, I, but I really liked brutal, you know, punk and hardcore, which tend tended to be like very male dominated. But I, I, I got a glimpse into seeing like that that can be challenged or changed. And, um, you know, I started discovering other bands that I think were very important to try to kind of like, um, let me stray away from like dude, um, dude stuff, you know, dude rock or whatever you want to call it. Like I, I, I you know, seeing like women in bands and, and, and even at the time, like, you know, tr trans people in bands, like it was really fucking cool and helped me. Um, not just, I mean, I think yeah, it helped me musically, obviously, but it helped me just um, discover a lot of other things that weren't really necessarily musically specific. I like that. I like that. And to be able to uh develop those aesthetics and and recognize those things at a young age I think is a great thing cuz you know, you're not just looking at whatever's popular at the moment and locking onto that. You're developing your own sense of things. And you certainly have with all of your bands. I mean, they didn't look like other bands. They had great aesthetics and they had their own uh unique sound. Yeah, but also too, I think I remember like I remember going on tour with my first band Struggle. We 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 had this show at um, this is the craziest shit, and I don't really I the story I could be saying this wrong, but we we had a show at Gilman Street, and we were supposed to play, and we weren't allowed to play because at the time Tribe Eight was headlining, and they said that they would not allow any bands that were all male to play. And so we, we like, we, some reason didn't get to play the show. And I, I remember kind of being pissed, but then I was kind of like, well, that's, that's pretty rad, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I, I don't think we played. I feel like, I, I feel like we did not play, but we might, we might've, I don't know. I can't remember. That was a long time. Who ago. was the headlining band? Uh, that band tribe eight tribe eight. Um, I'm not sure. What's, what's their story. Why didn't they want, uh, why didn't they want a all male band opening? I think that they were just trying to be, on top of their shit, you know, and like trying to, I, I, you know, they, they were, they were not an all male band. So they, they, you know, they were just trying to make sure that that it was a, uh, essentially, you know, uh, an, an all inclusive and safe space 
you know, for, for everybody. Um, I think that that was cool. Um, and, and to, you know, the untrained ear or something, the band struggle was kind of like mosh metal and, and might've seemed like we were just like aggressive young boys, you know? And, and I mean, fuck, maybe we, maybe we were to an extent, but we were not aggressive towards like only it being like this dude thing. You know I mean? We were, we, we were, we put out records on ebullition. We were really taking cues from bands like downcast and born against. And we were, um, you know, really psyched on like our, the first thing we ever released was like, we were on this compilation with bikini kill. And that was a very big deal for us to be part of that. And I think, um, so as much as when we got into that situation where tribe eight was saying no to us playing, you know, we were kind of like, Oh fuck, that's cool though, I guess, you know? And, um, yeah, I remember, I'm pretty sure we didn't play because I remember just being at the show and like, and feeling so awkward that we weren't playing. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah. So I guess in a sense, like agreeing to not play, you're living up to your word and respecting uh, the room. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was kind of their show and, and no one was there to see us. So it's like, Oh fuck, we better, you know, I mean, I think we could have like, I think we could have navigated a, 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 a you know, 20, 30 minute set. Um, maybe people would not want to hear us um, play music, but we definitely were able to speak to the audience and say, you know, our, our sort of spiel, our political uh, spiel to people and have them um, get on board with what we were doing. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it was a different time and it was a different scene and it wasn't, you know, we weren't from there. And so it just, it, it was what it was. But I, but I remember, you know, even at an early age going out on tour and playing with really strange bands and all over the place and, and trying to figure out how to um, assimilate yourself um, on a stage full, you know, that has like other kind of varied acts and then dealing with the potential, um, you know, backlash from an audience. Um, so I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting thing to kind of do. I think I think it might be an artistic craft in its in itself, aside from playing music and <laughs> just trying to figure out how to like associate with everybody. Yeah, and you've been involved in this life for a very long time. How did you decide this is what you want to do? Did you ever have any? Did you ever have a point in your life where you thought like, oh, I want a regular job or something like that? Do you, do you remember making the decision? No, I'm going to be in bands. I'm going to tour. This is the life I'm going to live. Um, I don't think it ever really was a conscious decision. And I also don't think I ever made the decision. I, I think it, I mean, this sounds like kind of hokey, but I feel like it chose me. And I, and I, and I, and I say that with like all sincerity is, and if someone wants to say I'm full of shit or make fun of me for saying that, that's fine. But, um, you know, I kind of, I got an, I got an instrument and I played music with, um, Jose Palafox and Dylan Scharf who were in struggle with me um, just kind of like half asked this sort of like songwriting thing with them. And, you know, at, at age like 14. And I remember I kind of, I don't know what it was. Like we kind of jammed a little bit, but I remember when I was 15 on my birthday, I went and saw suicidal tendencies and Jose and I, that night we decided like, we got to start a band and and we did the next day. And it was crazy to think about it like that because you know, we didn't think we were going to start a band and be like suicidal tendencies, of course, but we didn't have a con a, a, a full like perception of, of like the concept of playing in a band. We just thought we just want to play in a band and make music and we were terrible for a while. And that's, that's fine. But it was, I think we just needed, to, we needed something to kind of um, inspire us. And, and so seeing that show um, definitely did. And so we started 
you know, playing music and, and then throughout, like, you know, we were still in high school. So, so for me, for me, it was weird because, you know, I would go to school and people after school would be like, uh, concerned with what they're going to do on Friday night and Saturday night and stuff like that. And I, I had a different view of the world where like, I, I just thought, Oh shit, like we can play music and tour and we can do, there's like other things that I had. It was almost like, um, I don't know. I I mean, looking back, it's interesting. Like, I feel like maybe kids don't have, uh, uh, maybe if you're, maybe if you're very, um, maybe if you have, you know, I don't know, maybe if you're like good at something, I I don't think I was good at anything. I wasn't, I'm still not even like good at music, but I, I, but I, I had like this idea that we could be a band and we could do this thing and we could function. And I mean, at age 15, I went on tour and, and that was a crazy thing to think of in itself. Like I'm going with like other younger people around, you know, different cities and stuff and playing music and experiencing things and, and learning how to survive like without parents and without an allowance and like, you know, just really crazy shit. And and I think that was cool. And then it was even a little bit later on where I was in college and I kept having to drop out because I wanted to go on tour or because a tour would, you know, kind of pop up and be like, Hey, you want to do this tour? You're going to have to not go to school. <laughs> and then, so eventually I just quit, you know, going to school altogether. But throughout all of that, it was, and even up till now, still, um, is like the job thing where it's like, well, I have a job to kind of make a little bit of money and make ends meet while I'm not on tour, you know? And and then, and then you go on tour and you, you lose your job and you lose your ass financially and you kind of come back to do it again. And, and, and the, the rewards of touring aren't necessarily monetarily. It's more just, uh, it's more like, a, uh, uh, you know, the rewards, the payment is, is in other, other realms, I guess, you know, um, different, different things than, than money. So it's crazy because I did have a job up until I turned 40 and and I'm I'm 47 now. Um, And it was crazy because when I turned 40, I was like, right before I turned 40, I was like, I'm fucking quitting. I had a pretty killer job for eight years before I, before that. Um, But I was like, I'm quitting. I'm not going to work for anybody anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. What were you doing? I mean, I was just, I, it wasn't even anything cool. Like I was a bar back at a, at a, at a gay club and it was, it was fun and weird and I mean, it was like shitty. Like I had to clean up the thing that I, the reason why I quit was like, you know what? I'm turning 40 and I, and I almost every night I have to clean up some 21 year olds vomit. I'm like, I'm going to probably, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to stop. But it was like a wild place to work. And was like, um, very inspiring, um, in some respects, you know, like meeting all these really bizarre and interesting and creative people. And, um, I think the gay community is pretty rad in it, in itself. And um, I was a big fan of the, the political side of it, which didn't really come up much at the job that I was at, but also too, like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't identify as, as gay. And so it was, it, I kind of just could um, sort of be there and, and not um, be part of, of, I, I could go there to work and, and enjoy myself um, and like observe and not have to get mixed up in, the, in some of this stuff. Cause it, you know, in a bar setting, it could get kind of crazy. Um, uh, but it was, the place was cool and, and it's called riches. It's like, they would do like really wild shit where they even had me a couple of times. Like I, I, I performed once I, I played, you know, uh, I sang, I, I, I uh, played drums one time and they would do like these, um, these parties called like what the fuck parties. And they would just, they, they had like a, 
one time they had like a camel and uh, they had like a, you know, I don't know why they had a camel and a goat and all, and like all this weird shit. And like <laughs> one time they hired a friend of mine to sit outside on the sidewalk on a, at a couch and like just watch movies all night long. And it's like on a busy street, you know? So I think they were like into just doing like bizarre wild shit. And I was a big fan of that. So um, yeah, it was cool. It was an interesting place to work. Um, but I, I quit mainly because I was like, I just felt, well, for one, it was like fucking my body up. Um, like physically I got this thing. Called, I think it's called like tennis elbow or golfer's elbow or something um, from like, from working uh, like washing dishes and shit. I mean, it was a shit, you know, I was, I was like a, everyone kept saying like, when are you going to become a bartender? And I'm like, I'm not going to become a bartender. I can't be nice to these people for a dollar. Like, you know, I, or not to these people, but you know, to anybody in drunk people is what I mean. I can't be nice to drunk yeah. people for a dollar. Like there, you know, I can just tell people to fuck off. And like, they were pretty, the, the people that were there were like, you can be a fucking dick to anybody. It's totally cool. And like, you know, I, I it was, it was fun and interesting. Um, so yeah. And also working there was weird. It, it working there was also, uh, it created a product, uh, uh, called uh, all leather, which was this band that, that I did, which, which I think, was a reaction to, or like direct uh, correlation to working there um, just because it was like dance music um, and sort of gay and stuff. But um, yeah, that, so it, it, I think it influenced me in some ways as well. So uh, after you quit the job, you, you do uh, PR for bands now, right? Yeah. So that was pretty soon after I quit working there, I started doing PR um, and that, that is, a source of income. It's not much. And I, I've, I've just, I figured out ways to kind of live below the poverty level and, and, and like, and, and like not like my, my, my ability, you know, to survive is, is, is strange. Um, but I don't have income. I mean, even like doing PR, I, I, I do a lot of my PR work for free because I do PR for three, one G and, or bands that I'm in so that, there's that and that takes up a lot of my time. I feel like I'm an intern for myself or something, but, um, but I do, you know, P- do PR like as a proper publicist for other, ever, other acts, other, um, other artists that hire me to do that stuff. How long have you been doing your label three, one G a long time. I started it when I was 19 and 47. So that is a long time. Yeah. 28 years. Well, you've got quite an impressive roster of bands over the year. Arab on radar, Mets, cool. Keith, Blood Brothers, not to mention all of your bands. Yeah, it's getting even cooler. We got a bunch of new stuff. It's like crazier now than ever. Like it's really crazy right now. Like we have so much shit coming out. It's and also too, like you know, we have the ability to work with. After a while, you're just like, oh yeah, fuck Mets is on three one G or like Cool Keith. Like it just shit that I don't think I would have expected. You know, I mean, but then looking back, it's like you know, our first release was was Unbroken. That's that's pretty um, impressive in itself. But at the time, Unbroken wasn't what Unbroken is now, and it just seemed it seemed a lot different. Um, so yeah, it's pretty wild running a record label, and I'm 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 pretty psyched that we've survived. Um, it's it's a crazy it's crazy. Yeah, I don't make any money from it, and I think that might be why it survived. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So you don't make any money from it, even after all these years. Um, no, I mean, do you just reinvest back into the label and the bands? So I pay everybody, um, you know, we pay everybody a standard royalty rate. And and for the most part, if I'm paying a, a band that I'm in a royalty rate, um, I will not take my percentage. Um, sometimes I do, but for the most part, I don't. But either way, if you if you think about it, like we're not making much. So 
So uh, let's, well, a lot of the bands on the, on the label never even recouped. I mean, bands like Holy Muller will never, ever, ever recoup. Um, but like, let's say, um, you know, Swing Kids is a good example it, that that band recouped and we, and we, we make money and a lot of it, we do end up donating to charity and stuff. Um, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't really, um, I don't really pay myself, but when I do, if you consider how much time and effort went into everything, it's not really paying myself. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like, oh yeah, my allergy wage, my, my hour, hourly wage was, uh, you know, like a dollar 85 or something, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's just not, you can't really say like, oh, I get paid. You know, like you're like, oh, you're a fucking fool for doing that financially. So, but you know, with that, with that being said, like, I'm not, I'm not tripping out. My, my, the reward is like, I mean, especially with swing kids is like, I I've had so many people say like that band saved my life, you know? And that's, that's just like crazy. Um, for, I mean, that's just wild to hear, but like, that's, that's where your wealth is. You know, you're like, wow, man, I really helped someone without even like realizing it. That just seems wild in, in itself. It really does. That's the best thing. You know, if, if something you made, if someone tells you that it helped them in some way and it's happened to me before, I think that's the best feeling. Yeah. I mean, there, I, there are people and things that have helped me survive. So I, I, I definitely can relate and understand. Swing Kids, where does that fit into the timeline? That's post-struggle, obviously. Yeah, it's right off of the, the, the you know, the tail end of struggle. Um, and then it went into the start of the Locust. So it kind of, it kind of bridged to everything. Uh, it bridged struggle and, and, and the Locust together, I suppose. Um, and then, you know, we kind of, the, the reason why we stopped was uh, initially was um, Jose moved to go to school in Berkeley. And then we played again a couple times and then, and then eventually Eric Allen passed away. So we, you know, we obviously stopped at that point, but um, yeah. And, and then we actually ended up doing a, a reunion type thing. It was a, a benefit um, that we did with, with Unbroken. Um, and that was, um, that was for this book that came out burning fight. And the only, and the only reason we ended up playing, uh, was, you know, it, we said, if Unbroken's playing, we'll play. And right before swing kids broke up, um, we had a second guitar player, Jimmy Lavelle. So we played with Jimmy and then we ended up recording a couple, um, songs. We, we finished one finished, I guess I use that with air quotes because it kind of seemed like not really finished originally. And then we, and then we ended up working on some newer stuff. Um, so it was kind of cool and refreshing, but also felt pretty weird because Eric wasn't there and and no offense to everybody, but I think Eric was definitely the, the, um, strong, the strong point or the focal point of that band musically. I think he was the driving point of that band. And so without him, it just didn't really make the um, same impact. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Sometimes just one person, their spirit is is so strong in that thing. You know, once it's gone, it's just not the same. Yeah, yeah. Talking about Swing Kids, I was reading about it, and, you know, you were influenced by Nation of Ulysses, and at least in aesthetics, right? Because I read that uh, Swing Kids was tagged with starting the whole Spock core thing, for lack of a better term, right? Yeah. Did you ever see this back in the day? Like, Like, here's what I'm wondering. You know, you're looking a certain way, right? Uh, did you ever go to a different city or something and see someone else looking the same way and think like, "Oh, wow, this is weird." It, you know, it's it's in retrospect or from like someone that's on the outside, it, maybe it looks one way. But for me, this is my my take on it. Was like, um, you know, I, I was like a crust punk, and I and I, you know, I was I was like into like profane existence and I, you know, I, I just looked like a scumbag, which is fine. It's a good look. It's a good look, you know, but, um, 
But at some point I thought, you know, maybe I should, I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. It's something changed, but mainly what it was. And I'm, I'm going to give unbroken all of the credit because they all got super into Morrissey and they looked like greasers and kind of like mods, you know? And, and, and I think that was the main thing really Eric Allen and, and just kind of like, he was my best friend and like just seeing him like look fucking cool. And I was like, damn, I'm going to, I want to look cool too, you know? And then at that time, you know, nation Lissies was a band and it was, and it was, it was very impressive looking. Um, I mean, musically they were great, but very impressive looking and, and, and just unique. And I was like, damn, you know, this is a thing like, this is fucking cool. And, and, and again, like, you know, being in a punk band and dressing in suits is, is unique in itself. But like the way that nation Lissies dressed was just, you know, I mean, they, they just looked like, um, you know, they just had business attire, you know, like it wasn't like they, they created the Mohawk or something, you know, they just, they were wearing suits and playing in punk bands. But, um, so it was kind of that. And, and then I think that for whatever reason, I just got into weird mod stuff and I had, a, I got a Vespa and, you know, got into like mod culture and there was this, and it just, it got, it kind of got big in San Diego and a lot of people were just into looking weird like that. And it was, it was a unique shift from the punk rock uniform, you know, where I think everybody's like leather jackets and spikes and shit kind of shifted to, uh, you know, this sort of Beatles haircut and, and, and like wearing kind of fancier clothes, you know? And, and, um, and again, like, it's weird because all of us in, 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 in swing kids and stuff, and even in struggle, we were really into jazz music and we were into swing. We were into that kind of stuff anyhow. So it, so it all kind of intersected in some strange way. Um, and then also too, I think at the time was like the start of rocking the crypt and that was a big deal for San Diego. And we kind of all looked up to John Reese and, um, and, and then, you know, John also being in drive like Jehu, which was a fucking huge influence on swing kids musically. I think, yes. that, I think that the band kind of ripped them off a little bit. So, um, yeah, that was like a lot of things happening all at once, you know, and it, and it, and it, and it you know, it seems like it might've been a long time, but it was probably just a matter of months. I mean, you know, we were only alive for like, what, like 17 years at that point or 18 years or whatever. So your, your time, um, your sort of like perception of time is, is a lot different. Um, it seemed like an eternity, but it probably happened really quick, but you know, also too, like, I think people started um, getting hip to shopping at thrift stores and shit like that. And we just figured out like, Oh, you could live cheap and you could dress cool and weird. And then fuck, I remember like thinking like, God, I got to look normal and get a job. You know, I couldn't look like a scumbag and have like fucking <laughs> orange hair or like dreadlocks and shit. You know, I had to kind of clean up and, and I remember like, just realizing like, well, I can get a job like pretty much anywhere now, you know, like a shit job, like a retail job or something. But I, I was able to like get a job and work and I didn't have to shoplift all the time because <laughs> I was, I was really into stealing a lot when I was younger. Um, so yeah, it was really strange. Um, but I don't, I don't think it was, um, I don't think it was, is, I guess it wasn't as like an obvious shift. Like it would have been for someone on the outside when, when you're here, it just kind of like happened, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. And we had our own little microcosms of those things happening in like uh, suburban Pennsylvania, you know, like one guy starts buying clothes at the Gap and everyone else is like, wait, you could like, you don't have to look like a total scumbag. And then like, you know, the ball starts rolling <laughs> yeah. and, and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your appearance on Jerry Springer. Mm -hmm. What was the motivation? Was this just a prank or a, a 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like a promotional prank? Like <laughs> what was what was the motivation? I think uh, you know, I wish I could say we had a, a, a grand uh, idea, but I think you know it was the four of us that were on that show, just sitting sitting there in in, the, in my house one evening, and, and it was on TV, and we're like, let's call, and and then you know a couple weeks later they called us back, and that was it. Um, there was no like real effort or like thought put into it uh, in advance, and so we went on, you know, with the story, and we kind of we kind of went through the the motions as it, as it was presented to us, I guess. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I imagine uh, that's what a lot of the guests probably did is exactly what you did. Yeah. We didn't think it out. Um, I, I mean that, I mean, I get people, some people have like criticized me for wearing a locust shirt on the show. And, and I, I think it is kind of a weird move. I, I, if I was to do it over again, I probably wouldn't have done it. I don't necessarily think it really, helped the band necessarily that I was, you know, that because I had a shirt on that had, you know, had it, I think it was just the fact that I was there or whatever, but, um, but it wasn't like a promotional thing. I just remember them saying like, I remember them telling us to dress punk and we were, we were, you know, we were, we were like, okay, well your guys's idea of punk is, is the shit that we did a few years ago that we're trying to like not do anymore, you know? And so, um, (laughs) like my friend that was on the, on the, on the episode with us, she worked at, uh, this, this, um, shoe store called TUK. So like she got us all creepers, you know, and you know, like I, I spiked my hair up, you know, just to be, you know, it, it was just kind of like, all right, well, we just got to look punk rock, you know, and, and go on and, and do the thing. It was a crazy learning experience though. I mean, I remember them like interviewing us and, and, and they didn't know what we looked like, but they had all these questions. Um, for one, they said, they did tell us to dress punk. Um, and they, and so we're, we were like, okay, but they, you know, they didn't know we were lying. So they thought our story was real, but they're like, just dress, dress punk, make sure you dress really punk, you know? And we're like, oh, okay. And you know, then they're like, do you have all your teeth? And I was like, yeah, that's a fucking weird. <laughs> uh, I think it's they're because, disappointed with that. Well, no, I think is that I, I asked about that actually. Cause they said like, if you were to be the main person on the show or one of the people talking and you're missing a tooth, people just, um, I guess they fixate on that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. It was, it was a weird question, uh, but I've, I've been asked way worse things and I do have all my teeth. So I was like, yeah, I got them all. <laughs> so uh, it worked out. Yeah. I figured that would be better. I mean, you're on TV. You want a good looking person, right? Not too <laughs> fucked up looking. That's what TV's all about. Yeah, right? but then they were telling us to like look punk. I mean, we could have looked like scumbags, I guess. I don't know. I didn't know what level. You could have put on like a bad Cockney accent or something. Yeah. But, but they did say like, you know, no logos, which is so funny. They're like, no logos, no corporate stuff, no names, no, no words. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to wear this locust shirt, I guess. It wasn't even mine. I didn't even have a logo shirt. It was, it was Alicia's, I, I think. And uh, I wore her shirt, but um, I'm not sure why, but it looks really funny in retrospect where you like, you can see my tattoo and it on my shirt. That just seems really bizarre um, to me. <laughs> But does that, uh, does that help the band at all? I mean, this is pre like really the internet being huge and social media and all that stuff. Does it like turn people onto the band at all? You know, it, it did. Um, it sort of, it sort of became this weird, um, cult thing, I guess. And, and I I don't, I I mean that in like, uh, I'm not trying to sound like cool or whatever, but it, it, the timing was really, uh, interesting because it, it was, it aired like the day, one of the, the last day of this more than music festival. So it, it was kind of like there was this built in uh, buzz at this music festival where all these punk bands are playing. So I think everyone kind of talked about it and it went, it went with them to, to 
wherever they went, you know, like before cell phones and, and internet. And so everybody kind of talked about it and it became a big thing based off of that. I, I, I think, I think that was it. I feel like if the, I feel like if the festival didn't, you know, wouldn't have coincided with it and there wouldn't have been all these people like kind of talking about it at the show, then it might not have, uh, the word might not have traveled as far, but, but, but a little bit, um, interestingly beyond that, the, beyond the like punk and music scene was the regular world because the next day was just insane. The next few days, the next few weeks and months where I would be on the street or at the grocery store or wherever. And people would just notice me, notice me and start just chanting Jerry. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> what, I'm like, what the fuck, you know, this is, pretty crazy. And then I remember I was like in TJ, I went down to Tijuana and they, they, some people recognized me on the street. And then I remember a little bit later, someone recognized me in Holland and then in Japan. So I'm surprised. Yeah. It was crazy. And I don't, I, I don't know why. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I've heard comedians tell stories a million times. They go like back in the day, they go on a talk show like Conan and they think they're going to walk out on the street and everyone will recognize them and nobody does. But Everyone recognized you from this show. Well, that might be, that's a good point. So no offense to a comedian, but they, they weren't told to dress punk rock. And then they also weren't like spitting and fighting and, you know, cussing and fucking flipping people off and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like it was kind of, yeah, um, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it was, I think it was like the absurdity of it. And it just happened to be, it, it happened like at the height of all that stupid shit, like that show's height happened our, our 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 show aired at the height of that um, show's. Uh, you know, our episode aired at the height of that show's um, success. I guess so. I'm trying to say. So a couple locust songs ended up in the John Waters film Cecil Be Demented, which is cool. And John Waters is awesome. How did that come about? And did you like? Did you talk to him directly at all during that? Because I know you eventually had him on your podcast, uh, Cult and Culture. Yeah. Um, that was a strange thing too. I think he had a, f- so we, we had a mutual friend that we didn't, we didn't realize that we were mutual, mutually friends with John Waters. But um, so, so he had like an assistant kind of that had his ear to the ground and was like uh, tipping him off to weirdo shit. And I think he was like really into metal and thrash and whatever. And so someone was like, Oh, you should check out this band Locust. And then, you know, he liked it a lot and uh, must've liked it a, a, enough to put two of our songs in his, in his film. And then um, the movie came out and, you know, we, we ended up doing a, a live show at a, at a movie theater and stuff for it, but we still had not met him. And it was, it was a little bit later um, until, you know, until we actually met him in person and, and then became friends. And, you know, we, we've hung out, I've hung out with him every time I go to Baltimore and he's around or, or occasionally I saw him and uh, I'd see him in New York or something. So yeah, I mean, I I consider him a, a close friend. I, I think he's a, a a brilliant human being. I, I love the guy, and um, I'm very grateful for our friendship that we got from from his sort of, you know, I, I guess helper helper musical, you know, artistic helper. I don't know what do you want to call the guy, uh, the, the friend of ours that just kind of linked him up with the, with the Locust. And I, and I'm always curious, like, what were the other bands that he was trying to get him hip to, you know? But I'm glad that the Locust stuck. Um, you can't argue that he's you know, he's just a force that's not to be reckoned with. He's, he's brilliant. And he created stuff that's um, so important. And, and I don't know, a lot of it's odd too, where I look at it, like his, his musical, or I mean, sorry, his film career is almost like a musical career in a sense. Like he did all this like really bizarre shit. Like I kind of feel like he could be 
you know, like he could kind of be the, the Airborne radar of, of, of movie directors or something. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. He's done some really, really out there stuff, some more mainstream stuff that more people have seen. He's done it all. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still doing it. Apparently he's working on his next film. So, um, I don't know. I'd love to be in it. Uh, I'd love to act in it, but that hasn't, he hasn't asked me. So there's that. <laughs> have you dropped any hints? <laughs> yeah, I've done it a few <laughs> times. I, whatever. I mean, I'm on his, I mean, we're friends. I think he, you know, he, he, there was one point, I don't know how true this was, but it was like, when we, we were, we had met and we were, we were, we were, I would say we were friends, but we weren't as close as we are now. And, um, he was doing, he was making a dirty shame. And, and the guy that, introduced him to the locust was like saying that they wanted me to be in the film as, and I would be Johnny Knoxville's um, brother. Uh, and which is kind of funny because people all, all the time will say, I look like Johnny Knoxville, which is cool. Maybe kind of weird, but um, it, either way, I, it, it never happened. I, I was like, oh, wow, I want to be in the movie. And then like, you know, this is before the internet, before John and I were like closer friends. And, and then the movie kind of came out and I was like, Oh, I'm clearly not going to be in the movie. It's out now. So um, it would have been cool. But yeah, if, if, um, if I could have been in it or if I could be in the next one, I would be so fucking psyched. I mean, that is like, you can't go, where are you going to go from there? Like you're in a, that's it, you know, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would, that would be huge. And you know what? Acting is one of the most fun things I've done. I, I, uh, I had one acting venture. I took a class. They gave me the lead in the in a stage play of a Chekhov play. And that that it's like the dream situation. I walk into the class, I get the lead, we do the show, it's great. So I retired after that. I'm like, where can I go from here? Like <laughs> if I go anywhere from here, it's gonna be like shitty auditions for years to maybe get something. Like I lived the dream, I'm done. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Um I I would like to do that. If I think I jokingly did a, a voiceover on a cartoon and I was like, man, if I could just get car- if I could just get a gig doing that, I, I could kind of be cool with like not playing music anymore. <laughs> you know, it, right? it, was, it was so fun and, and just rad. And I felt like it was, I, I got the same kind of, not the same, but I got, I got, I got the kind of uh, similar enjoyment out of, out of creating something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh Acting ranks above podcasts for sure, but I still think <laughs> I still think music wins because I don't know. Like I can put out uh, some content and twenty five thousand people can look at it, and I'm like, that's cool. But if I if I write an EP and I go out and play it, and three people are there, like that's still better. I I have to agree, um, but I think it's hard to compare one thing to the other because I both think that they're important and I think they serve a different purpose where like with music, you're especially performing live, you know, you're exchanging energy with the audience. You're creating something that's, that's for that moment, you know, and and I think with a podcast or I don't know, whatever anybody's are, even like making a t-shirt design or whatever it is, like you, you, you can still, there's still something to be said about it, you know, being creative and doing something having a, an output and an outlet that is hopefully positive or progressive or at least, um, you know, creative or interesting to some extent. I mean, I think that's cool. Um, it, it is better than not having, uh, any kind of output. If that, if that's a weird word to use, I guess. Um, no, that's, uh, that really speaks to me. I, my whole life, a lot of it I squandered because I, I, 
Well, I, I used to drink and do a lot of drugs just to deal with the everyday anxiety of life, and that eventually replaced everything in life. Part of what pulled me out of that is discovering that I like to create whatever it is. You know, uh, I just need to be creating something. So that's my drive, and it's obviously it's yours too. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know if if I ever thought differently. I mean, I'm curious where it came from for you because it started at such a young age. Like you, ha- it's, you just seem to have this focus at such a young age to create well, and 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 bigger picture view to be out to get out there and tour and not worry like oh am i going to go to this party or whatever else everybody else was doing i guess if you were to i mean i don't want to i don't want to like sound I, this might be weird but like i guess if i was like to pick my life apart i remember i remember at, like a younger age i had these goals um like i'm talking like i mean fuck i must have been in second grade maybe um where it was like when garbage pail kids came out and i remember this is like a i was like a shitty weird hustler capitalist I guess because garbage pill kids came out and they were a big deal. And I, I figured out, so I, I, I convinced my mom to, to loan me, like, I don't know how much it was to buy an, a, a box of the, of the pack. So it has like all of the packs, you know, a whole bunch of packs in one box. So I was like, so what, what happened was like before school, I would say like, let me borrow this money and, I, and I'll pay you back, you know, like by the end of the day or whatever. So I'd borrow this money and I would buy this box and I would take them to school and I would, I would sell them. And so I would make a little bit of money and then I'd pay my mom back and then I would have money and then I would be able to go do shit that I wanted to do. And so I figured out like ways to do that. I mean, I guess I was being like a retailer to some extent, or, I mean, I was, I mean, it is capitalism, I guess, but, but it was like that kind of mindset because I was like, oh, I want, I want cool shit. And I wanted to get into, I was getting into skateboarding and stuff. And I was like, I, you know, I wanted to like figure out how to like um, do things on my own and like, and to get things that I wanted. And, and so that was the start of it. And then it was, then it was, you know, it shifted into the skateboarding thing. And I was, you know, I wasn't going to be like a, a pro skater or anything, but I was really, really into skateboarding. And I think I, that would have, I would have kind of kept going with that if it wasn't for the sort of intersection of, of, of skateboarding and punk rock, like through Thrasher and, and, and stuff like that. You know, I started discovering cool music through skateboarding and then, and then it was, then the music thing took over and then, it, and then it was, then there was like the harsh reality of breaking my wrist and going like, Oh fuck, I can't play music if I skateboard. I'm going to have to stop doing that and just do the music thing. And so, um, it, yeah, I guess it all kind of goes from me hustling garbage pill kids to, to, you know, right now <laughs> being on your podcast. <laughs> so. Amazing. It all comes full circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we lost Gabe Serbian this year, who was a longtime member of the Locust. How are you doing? How's the rest of the band doing? Um, thanks for asking. Uh, it's, it's been there's no, there's no, um, easy way to, to, to deal with that, you know? So, um, it's been fucking terrible. I'll just say that it's been fucking terrible and hard and strange. And some days are better than the others, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I don't, this, um, it, it was interesting t- because after he passed away, I went on tour quickly after that. And it was so crazy to be on tour and to, and to be around people, um, at shows. So for me and for Def club, I felt like it was very cathartic and it felt like he was, his energy was with us on stage. And that was really important for us, but for the audience, people came out and they also 
got something from it. And I mean, it was, it was wild. I'd be in cities that I haven't been in in years and people come up and like cry to me or they'd want to give me gifts to give to his family and fucking weird is weird. Um, it's been weird. It's going to be probably weird forever. Um, was it helpful at all to have people do those kinds of things and maybe share stories or was it, was it like too much? Um, I, I, I can't say one way or the other. So there were times where I was like, what the fuck, man, I barely know you or I don't know you at all. And you're crying to me and I'm, and I just got off stage, like, or I'm still like actually standing on the stage and people are like crying. And I'm like, this is fucked. Like, I don't have the the emotional capacity to, to, to give you this. Uh, and not that I want to be like a dick to someone, but I, I, I just found myself being trying to be very strong and, 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 and console other people. And, and then also too, like there was the lesser intense stuff where people just wanted to come up and talk about him and say about, you know, the time that they first saw the locust or what, you know, his drumming did to them and musically and stuff. And those are all really, really cool to hear. And I loved all that. And I'm glad I got to, but at the same time, I kind of just wanted to be, um, I wanted to not be, um, is approach. I don't know. I don't want, I didn't want to be as um, accessible. I wanted to just kind of perform and, and go through it on my own and be with myself or with my bandmates and not, not have to like spend an hour talking to someone that I don't really know. But in the grand scheme of things, it really helped me see how massive of a, a, of a reach that he had and how important he was to so many people on this planet for so many different reasons. So I, I, there was like a really nice side to it, but also too with the people being intense. And I don't know if, if certain people will hear this, but like there, there's a band that um, I'm close with and they, they came up to me and immediately started crying. And I was like, fuck you guys don't do this right now. Like, yeah, ah," you know, and I, and I, and I, um, it was fucked up like right away, like very, very intense. And you know, it like hurts your heart. Um, but, um, I think the times where like, I was able to kind of process it was when I was by myself. Uh, that's, I, I can understand because the, the way I am, the way I deal with things is to withdraw. And I'm like, let me get myself strong and then I'll get back out there and deal with everybody else. I don't know if that's the most healthy way, but that's the way I do things. So if I'm out there and a lot of people, especially people I don't know, are coming at me and crying. It's gonna, it's gonna take a toll on me. So that that's understandable. Yeah, it was that was it was crazy. Um, I, uh, I I do think like playing shows uh, right afterwards was it it, it was very therapeutic. Um, and and yeah. I, it was wild. It was so fucking wild. But I, I think. Um, there's this, you know, there's this thing, and this also might be kind of like too woo woo for a lot of people, or they might want to make fun of me or whatever, but like, you know, when you play a show, you kind of things you transcend on stage, it becomes something else. Um, like time and space are, 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 they shift and, and, and there's something else that happens. And, and I think it was very good to experience that and to have the capability of, of, um, obtaining energy from Gabe and having that be on a stage. Um, it was, it very, it was very, um, it was very rewarding and it was very, um, you know, it was just helpful. It was helpful in a, in, in a few, in so many ways. Um, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. And yeah. I, I agree with you on those, uh, those otherworldly feelings that happen when you're performing. Yeah. It's bizarre because I felt myself 
going a little bit too hard sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, I just, I, I, I think I, I fucking tore a ligament, in my thumb and shit, you know, I'm like, Oops, you know, <laughs> like it was like irrational, you know? And I'm like, but I, I, the irrational thing kind of, it's going to happen, but like, it also helped. It also had to happen. I think it, it, it just, I don't know. I wish I had the, I wish I had the answers to, to parts of life. It would be so much more easier, but um, I think the, the way we, we sort of like, assimilate or or digest things is through is through time and reflection and so oddly enough i've been through this losing a best friend and a and a and a, and a bandmate before so it, it it's really very similar to how it was when eric allen passed away but at this point the world's different obviously but also so my you know i, I have another 20 years of experience so i i think i i have like a I kind of know what to expect um, from myself and, and, and my emotions and, and how I should perceive things and how things should be dealt with. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's not a linear path grief at all. You know, I lost a friend in 2017 and it's like, you, you know, some days you don't think about it. Some days it's all you think about. Of course, in the beginning, there's a period of really, processing things and getting uh, used to the new norm. But uh, I mean, like a lot of other things, you just take it day by day and um, you reach the new normal, whatever that is. Yeah. I, I wonder how it's going to be like when we're really old and like everybody's died, you know, and you're just like, fuck. I mean, I guess I, uh, I, I'm not looking forward to that. I've only lost one close friend so far and I can't imagine like you're saying, like, you know, people start dropping like flies. It's just like, what, what, I, I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 growing up, I had this like weird concept that I, I, I never really imagined myself, um, in my thirties or forties or, you know, I just never did. And now I play in a band with people that are like in their fifties, which, which is crazy to be like, whoa, man, you're 55 and like you're ripping still. And that kind of gives me hope for a future where, where in my teens and in my twenties, I, it was, it wasn't, there really wasn't a concept of a future. It was just right now, like what is happening right now. And so I think that it's interesting to get older and to, and to, and to have a lot of loss and to have grief, you know, but at the same time, I mean, my dad was murdered when I was 12 and I, I, I had a strange perception of death and you know losing someone that's that you're related to and stuff at very early age and and grew up really fast from that and i and i um that has a huge effect on a child yeah both in i mean in so many ways ways that can't even be comprehended when you're 12 years old yeah and then that is and and, and also the fact that it was like a abusive relation or abusive uh, childhood and uh, family life um yeah kind of kind of I mean, I don't wish that on anyone, but at the same time, I, I, it gave me a different set of skills um, to deal with things in life. Um, yes. It gave me like a harder outer outer shell or something maybe, you know, so, which is probably not that good in a lot of, in a lot of situations, but, um, but either way, like, I, I, I think it made me more resilient because um, this world is pretty fucking mean. It is. So, and yeah. it's, it's, it's gotta be hard to have a, a good outlook with everything you've been through. Uh, that's not that hard though, because you know, if you, if you can just be grateful for the things that you have, then, then you have all this shit to be grateful for, you know, because yeah, there's things that we like, 
I don't want to just be like, Oh, everything's cool. And like, I wish peace on everyone. Like I don't wish peace on everyone, you know? And, and I think this world's fucked and I think there's a lot of fucked up people, but I do appreciate a lot of stuff in my life. I appreciate simple things that people tend to overlook and take for granted. And I do appreciate, um, you know, like the bigger, the bigger things too, as well. But, um, I don't know. Um, I don't want to seem negative or nihilistic, but at the same time, I also think that it's that, it's that damn quote, you know, the opposite of love's not hate, it's apathy, you know? And I I feel like um, those two things, love and hate kind of go hand in hand. What happened to your dad? Do you mind talking about that? I was just curious reading about it. Yeah, no, no, I don't mind. Um, Yeah, he was, my dad was an alcoholic. So he was, he was like a, he was a bit, um, he was, yeah, he was an alcoholic and he got in a fight at this, at this restaurant with these two guys. And so they, they, um, all, everybody got kicked out of the, the restaurant. And then I think they might've fought in the audio, uh, in the, uh, the parking lot or something a little bit. And anyhow, they split and, the, and my dad split and the, and the two guys followed him home and then they, they beat him up in the driveway. And I, I don't think their plan was to kill him, um, but they, but they killed him. So, um, he had a brain aneurysm and so they hit him in the head and, and the brain aneurysm uh, exploded and that was the cause of death. So it was pretty crazy because I guess my mom found him um, in the driveway, but um, it was, it was pretty wild too, because so they didn't, the people that did it never went to jail. And then um, I got the police report in my thirties um, from my mom and I ended up finding the two guys on Facebook. I found one of them on Facebook the other guy, I don't know where he was, but I was like, Hey man, like you killed my dad. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe we could converse about this and be pretty, it would be helpful to me. And also just an interesting conversation, you know, but the guy never um, replied to me, but I, I, I think um, he probably was like shitting his pants, but also like he yeah. was, he seemed like a redneck, you know, and he, he looked like a fucking, he looked like a fucking redneck, you know? And you're just like, okay, <laughs> I get, I can see, you know, here I am on Facebook with like all this weirdo, like, punk you know gay stuff or whatever the fuck you know weird shit he's probably like fuck this guy you know like why didn't they go to jail so i yeah i mean the the, it's kind of weird my mom said she hired a private investigator too to to try to figure out stuff too but um i think like by the by the police report it says like um that my dad started the altercation in the restaurant so my dad started the fight and yeah. they didn't need to follow him home. So, so that's where I think that the story gets kind of weird. So my yeah. dad started the fight and then they, I don't know, like they, 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 their intention wasn't to kill him. Their intention was to just fuck him up. But the weird thing is they stole, they robbed him too. So they took his money and they took like, I think they took some of his jewelry or something. So that's kind of crazy because then they, I feel like they should have at least went to jail for a little bit of time, but they, they didn't. Um, yeah. Cause don't you, don't you usually get manslaughter in a situation like that? Isn't that the one? I guess they didn't get yeah. I mean, it's also Arizona in the eighties. Like, I don't think I just, I don't know. I just, they, they didn't go to jail. Well, it was crazy because one guy was 19 and one was 21 and my dad was 44 or 42, 44. 44. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. Um, the whole thing was crazy. But you go through this whole thing where you don't think you're going to live past 44 or, I mean, did you go through all that? Cause I, I had a young, I had a older brother who died the day before my 16th birthday. He was diabetic, had a seizure. I found him. So 
I went through this whole fucking crazy thing where I thought I was going to die young and all this other stuff. Did you go through that? It's really strange because I, when I was a child, I was obsessed over the sex pistols. And I remember just kind of, um, I, I, I think, uh, the weak point in that band is Sid Vicious. Um, but I was obsessed, you know, over the band and he was obviously a very, um, uh, focal, you know, he's a, he was a focal point of the band. Anyhow, I, I, I was tripping out on the fact that he died at 21 and that he, um, I don't know. It was, he would always say that he was, you know, going to die at a a young age. And so it was kind of crazy to like be into punk rock and to have this sort of, I don't want to say he was, um, he definitely wasn't my, my idol, but, uh, I just, it just seemed like everything that I was into aside from, you know, and my, my impressionable, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old self was, um, looking up to all these sort of punk bands and they were all in their twenties, you know? So I did, it's not like now where you can look at Jello Biafra and he's 60 or 70 or whatever, whatever fucking age he is, you know, or like Johnny Rotten or whatever, like, you know, you know saying like, so everybody was kind of at 20. And so I just, I just felt like I didn't have this perception of, of life to the end. I had this perception of now. And then my, and then that was, that was really it. Um, So it wasn't, it wasn't that I ever was like, I'm going to die before this age or I'm not going to be old. Um, it just, I just had a different perception of everything. I mean, fuck, I remember going to a show and like um, seeing this band, I think they were called straight ahead and the singer had a mustache. And I just remember being like, what the fuck? The guy's got a mustache. You know, he's in a punk band. <laughs> and he's like, everyone's young. We don't have mustaches yet, you know? So it was just, it was really strange. Um, so I it just, I didn't really understand um, what it would be like to get old or older you know, and even now, like my mom will talk all this shit to me. Like, you're going to, you're not a spring chicken anymore. Be careful. And it's like, no, I didn't fucking tear my ligament because I was, uh, because I'm getting old. I, I did it because I threw a monitor, a speaker, you know, into the audience. Like, <laughs> that's why, you know, it wasn't like a dumb, like I'm getting old and I, and I'm an old fart. It was like, oh, I did something really fucking stupid. And my thumb doesn't go a certain way, period, no matter what age you are, you know? So I don't know. I do kind of like trip out on that stuff. But I also, um, you know, grew up around a lot of substance abuse. And I also grew up around the the opposite of that with like, the like my friends that were in the straight edge community. And I saw both sides of this spectrum and, and how it was, um, I don't know how it had like, it had like, uh, it kind of, it kind of was like, not good to be one or the other. <laughs> uh, it was, it's a strange thing to perceive. Uh, anyhow. So I, I kind of found out a way to like sort of take out, take care of my, myself. And I became vegetarian and vegan at a very young age. And I never got into, um, drugs or drinking and not that I was straight edge, but I, I just never went that path. Like, and I had friends that were like heroin addicts and, and, you know, and like people that were like doing speed and shit like that. And so I would just, um, try to find, I just became like, aware of, of what I was doing to my body, I suppose. That's smart. That's good. Because I, I fell into the traps of uh, alcohol and hard drug use. And I can see now how it's so easy to fall into that, especially if you were uh, dealing with a lot of uh, untreated trauma and all the other st- uh, kind of stuff I was dealing with. But listen, I'm out of it now. And uh, now I'm a straight edge by necessity. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of funny uh, when that when that happens. With, uh, yeah, I but was, uh, that's okay because now now I'm getting to do all the shit I've always wanted to do uh, and imagined that I could do when I was like passed out in a basement. <laughs> I, I always tripped out because um, I couldn't 
afford drugs and then I couldn't afford rehab. So I was like, man, fuck that shit. Like how, I don't know how you guys can do all that, you know? And I, and, and my, in my mind, I was like, I want to, I want to, I need a, I think I need to get a better guitar or like, I need to put out a record and I can't really afford that. So if I start fucking doing drugs, it's going to be even more. So there was that. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. The drug thing is, is interesting. Um, I, I, yeah, I probably would have, but I had like a couple of key figures in my life. A friend of mine told me um, when I was younger, don't do acid. You'll like it too much. And that really stuck with me until like my early forties. Um, you know, I was like, Oh shit, I guess I shouldn't do that. Um, you know, so maybe I'm grateful for them or like I, I, when I was younger, I did, I did speed once I did math one time and it was because I was, with this friend of mine and these, and I don't know how I got in this situation, but there was a huge neo-Nazi problem in San Diego. And I was, these two big older neo-Nazis were at this dude's house and I was 13 and they were like expecting me to do meth. And so I, I snorted a line of meth with these Nazis because I was, I didn't want to be there and I didn't know how to not do it because I thought I was going to get like, beat up by these guys they're fucking total dicks so you know like weird shit like that and we're like oh i'm not gonna go do drugs now it's fucking dumb or then like working at a bar you know and like then you you're, you're there to be sober and work and you're like seeing these people fucking barf and like fucking loot like they would lose i it was crazy when i worked at that bar i would i would find so much money on this on the ground you know and i'm like dude i can't <laughs> afford to like there's one night i found like two Separate times, I found a a hundred dollar bill, and I'm like, "Well, this is crazy that someone just lost a hundred bucks, or maybe two hundred. So, um, yeah, I, I just never could, I could never like function with those in those like parameters, you know. <laughs> well, let's talk about what we've got coming up now. There's a human issue Def Club split coming out. Yes, sort of. That actually is out technically out already. Um, and it's just a limited, uh, lathe cut thing that, um, was put out by our guitar player owns a co-owns a record store, um, called midnight hour. So they just released it. Um, and the song that we did, the Def club did the wait has been out for a while. It was actually, we released it as a benefit to raise money for Stacey Abrams, um, the fair fight, uh, campaign or organization that she was um, working with. So, that was during the pandemic. Um, and then, so I think at some point, Brian and Hunter from um, the human issue uh, wanted to put together a split and that was, how, and it just took a while. Um, so yeah, it's out. And Def club put out a record this year, productive disruption. Yes. We did that. Yeah. And also that might've been last year though. Maybe not. I can't tell, but we also put out an EP right afterwards. Bad songs forever. So we got quite a lot of shit out. Um, We were busy during the pandemic, for sure. And we've got the tour dates happening this week. This episode's going to go up Monday, so I think we'll miss announcing the tour dates. But what else you got coming up? I'm currently working on a new album with Planet B, which is done. It's being mixed now. And then working on a new Satanic Planet record. But that'll that'll be a while. I don't know. There's always shit going on. Um, there's always something going on, I guess. I just, the, the, um, dead cross record just came out last week or two weeks ago. So yeah, there's always something going on. You've always got a lot of irons in the fire. And I like that. I try to, uh, live the same way. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, it seems crazier from the outside. Like for me, it's just like not that wild. It's just these things just kind of today we'll do this. And then when that's done, well, now we're going to do this next thing. So there's that. I love it. Well, Justin, this was a pleasure, an absolute pleasure, a uh, great conversation. And I just want to say thanks so much for coming on the show and keep doing what you do. Thanks. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and to be, um, I don't know, you, I think maybe because of your life experiences and stuff too, you were able, I don't, yeah, I just want to say thanks. It was good talking to you and I, and I appreciate the nuances and the stuff that we were able to talk about and the way we were able to discuss things. So I really appreciate that. And there you have it, Justin Pearson. Wow. Incredible conversation. You know, this week I just feel appreciative that artists come on my show and open up the way that Justin did. You know, he doesn't owe me anything. I don't owe him anything. He doesn't have to do it. I mean, he comes on and he opens up about everything we covered everything. He talked about the passing of Gabe Serbian and how he's doing with that. He talked about losing Eric Allen before that. He talked about losing his father when he was young and just the different emotions he's gone through and how everything has shaped him. In addition to the, all the bands that he's been in, I mean, the guy can't miss. Struggle, The Locust, Swing Kids, Retox, Def Club. He's been doing this a long time. He's still doing it. And the guy just puts out great output. I like every band of his that I've heard. I've been listening to him a long time, and I just feel really appreciative that Justin has given me the time and opened up and made this an interesting conversation for all of us to listen to. And uh, I'm appreciative of any of my guests that does the same. So I'm just feeling grateful. Thanks, Justin. That was a really awesome conversation. And I'm very happy that I had the opportunity to have it with you. I mean, these conversations help people. I hear from all of you who listen to the show to hear that the artists that you look up to and that the artists you've been listening to your whole life are going through the same things that you are and that you've gone through. It helps. I know it helps me. You know, I didn't have an outlet like this when I was going through the worst of, well, that's not exactly true. I did listen to the Stern Show a lot, and that carried me through some of my darkest days. I'm happy that I can do some version of that for you as well. You know, when just when Justin opened up about his father and about Gabe and how he processed the emotions, those conversations help. They help. They help me when I hear them, and I hope they help you when you hear them. And let's talk about how we're doing, huh? I am, like I mentioned a little bit in the beginning of the show, I got COVID. Uh, I think I got it from a Halloween party that I went to. That was on a Saturday night. And by Monday night, Halloween, I knew I was in trouble. I felt some flaring up in my chest. And I had this weird nasal drip thing going on that I hadn't felt before. And I couldn't sleep all night. And I was like, oh man, this is it. I bet this is it. And I had a whole night planned for Halloween. I went and bought candy for the kids and I was going to watch Halloween and play some video games and I ended up just sitting in bed 
feeling horrible. And by the time I woke up Tuesday morning, I knew that I had COVID. It was really bad. It was hot flashes and cold flashes and that sensation that you feel like you're being crushed and splitting headache. And I reverted back to my drug using days. You know, I used to be in really bad shape a lot of the time, detoxing and retoxing and everything else. And I would just sit in bed watching horrible TV, eating Italian ice. And that's what I did because I, you know, I, my stomach hurt so bad with COVID. I couldn't keep anything down. So I just watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy like I used to when I was uh, detoxing. And that was great because I haven't seen that in a long time. Those movies are still perfect. And you can watch two of those and like an entire day is gone. So I did that. Tuesday, I was in bed all day. Wednesday, I was in bed all day. And I thought I started feeling better. And then boom, it hits you again at night, full force. Thursday, I thought I started feeling better. And then boom, COVID hits you again, like a freight train at night. And I I just got scared. I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone I'm doing better. I'm not going to say anything because this is horrible. This is really, truly horrible. It is one of the worst things I've ever gone through. Uh, By the time Thursday rolled around, no, by the time Friday rolled around, I finally got on the phone with my doctor and did a virtual appointment to get Paxlovid. And that was a whole other thing. I started taking that stuff and I couldn't taste anymore. Or there was this weird, bitter chemical taste that it was just in my mouth the whole time. My stomach hurt the whole time. I just, it was another bad feeling. Not as bad as COVID, but a separate bad feeling. And there was five days of taking that medication. I have taken all of that medication at this point. I'm done. And I'm just waiting to feel normal again. You know, this is uh, two days off of medication and a few days away from the worst of COVID symptoms. And I'm just hoping I'll feel normal again one day. It was really bad. I was isolated for a week. I got really resentful of the show because, you know, I had to, I had a bunch of interviews scheduled for that week. I had to cancel all of them. And then I just pulled it together enough to record the intro and outro for the last episode Friday. And then I had to spend the entire weekend editing and putting together the show. And I didn't feel good. And I was resentful of the show. I wanted to quit. And I was pissed I had to work all weekend, and I was pissed that I was sick, and I was pissed that I missed all my usual meetings and my meeting up with friends and everything else. And I was just really upset that everything got thrown topsy-turvy like that. And I got through it. I posted the show. And this week has been better. You know, I still don't feel great, but uh, I can go outside now, and I'll do that tonight. I'll meet up with a friend for dinner and then uh, head to a thing after that. So... Just waiting to feel normal again. Can't wait for that. Otherwise, everything's fine. I actually played Modern Warfare 2 last night for the first time in a long time. I hadn't played any video games. I haven't been doing anything. I haven't been playing any games or listening to any music or doing any of the things I normally do because I, I just don't feel good. But last night I started feeling better because I ate a nice dinner, played some Modern Warfare 2. I'm looking forward to the launch of Warzone 2. That's going to be exciting. Haven't touched original Warzone since Modern Warfare 2 came out. I don't want to level a bunch of guns up. Uh, You know, it's so whatever. I'm just playing multiplayer at my own pace and some other games. You know, I finished Doom 3 off stream. I've got Resident Evil, the remake. I'm going to play that. I've never played that. I've got uh, Back for Blood. I'm stuck on the last guy, the the Abomination or whatever it's called. I can't beat it, Uh, but I'll do it. I'll get it done. Listen, I get things done. It's going to happen. 
And in terms of the show, everything's going great. We're still getting awesome guests. I've got a lot more great shows coming up. I've got a lot more great guest co-hosts coming up. So I'm here. I'm here. I survived COVID. I'll be good for the next three to six months or however long it is that you're immune before you can get it again. But I will continue doing the show and we will be here together. Oh, yeah. And before I end the show, okay, so uh, on Halloween, I remembered that there was a Ink and Dagger joke straight edge band. And I, for the life of me, I could not remember it. I'm like, I think it begins with an O. I don't know. And you can't find anything about them online. It's really hard. So I'm searching, searching Spotify, YouTube. I know that the demo used to be on YouTube at one point, but it's not there anymore. I'm searching, searching, can't find it. So I post on Twitter and I say, what was the name of the Ink and Dagger joke straight edge band? And Mike Burdan from Uniform was kind enough to reply and remind me that it was on point. Members of Ink and Dagger recorded a four-song straight-edge hardcore demo, and they did it under the name On Point, and the songs are ridiculous. It's about, like, I don't know, beating someone's high score in a video game. There's a song called 420, Weed Sucks. It's funny, but it's good. It's actually good, and they, they made this demo look like an actual straight-edge hardcore band from, like, 1987, and they used different names. So, you know, I, I imagine some people actually thought this was a a real band. But I'm going to end the show with the first song on the demo, which is called Time Out. And even as a joke, these guys get things done. This song is good. I really like the breakdown at the end, and I hope you like it too. So that's it. That's it for this episode. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks everybody for listening, and until next time. Ah!